When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Coming up on Chopper's Politics. For 20 years, we've largely had a social policy parliament. And the reality is, and this might sound strange coming from a Labour politician, is you only get to achieve all the things you want to achieve in social policy if it's backed up by a strong economy, a growing economy, mm. successful business. Policies. Absolutely. Hello, I'm Christopher Hope, the Associate Editor for Politics at the Daily Telegraph, and welcome to Chopper's Politics podcast. It's a big day in Scotland where members of the SNP elect a new leader and therefore a new first minister. The past few weeks have seen bitter infighting as the three candidates, Hamza Youssef, Kate Forbes and Ash Regan, have battled to succeed Nicola Sturgeon. Later, we'll be talking to Anas Sarwar, the Scottish Labour leader, about whether his party can capitalise on the SNP chaos. But first, to take stock on the past few weeks, I got together the Telegraph Scotland editor Simon Johnson and our columnist and stalwart unionist Alan Cochrane to give their verdict on the leadership battle and what the future may hold. Simon Johnson, Alan Cochrane, two of our most brilliant Scotland watchers and reporters here at the Telegraph. Welcome to Chopper's Politics Podcast. Great to have you both on. Yes, thanks for inviting me on, Chris. I can only see one Great reporter, myself. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. We're doing it down the line ahead of the results on Monday. Simon Johnson, to you first. You're based in Edinburgh as our Scotland editor. How much damage has this leadership battle done to the SNP? Well, a huge amount of damage, I think. I mean, what we've had over the past eight and a bit years of Nicola's leadership is this iron-like discipline with no dissent allowed. In fact, whenever you got a, an MSP speaking up on something, it was a major story if he or she didn't agree with her. What we've had over the past few weeks has, has been a quite extraordinary breakdown of discipline. It's, it's almost been like, you know, a pressure cooker and, and the lids come off with, with Sturgeon going and everyone's just gone slightly crazy. So we've had candidates trashing each other's records in government, trashing Sturgeon's record in government, Kate Forbes saying that her record's been mediocre. It's been just unprecedented, really, over the past almost 20 years of, of SNP rule up here. Alan Cochran, to you then, who has benefited, do you think, from this? Oh, definitely. The people who have benefited are people like me, uh, unionists. <laughs> the people who have opposed independence, root and blanche, forever. I've been after them for best part of four decades. And they're on their knees now, and independence is on a back burner forever. Alan, what, were you surprised by the level of, of vitriol that has emerged from, the, from Nicola Sturgeon's resignation? A wee bit, but I think Simon's right. It just exploded once they were allowed to dissent, and it's astonishing the way they've all had a go at each other. And now whoever wins, uh, whoever's announced, is going to have to get the boss stick out and glue them all back together. It's an incredible... Who, who on earth is going to serve under, for instance, Kate Forbes or Ash Regan when um, Nicola's legacy has been monstered? By those two. Yeah, we're recording this, of course, before the, the announcement on Monday of, of the winner. But Simon Johnson, if, say, Kate Forbes wins, does the government collapse in Edinburgh? I mean, can the Greens serve under her? And if they can't serve under her, then is there actually a minority SNP government? 
very difficult to see how the Greens would serve under. Um, their co-leader, Patrick Harvey, has issued a warning this morning that basically they would be expected to stick to the Butte House Agreement, which is the coalition deal that Nicola Sturgeon signed. Now, in that is to pursue the sort of gender reforms that Kate Forbes has already said she opposes. There's also a lot of environmental stuff in there that, that Kate Forbes doesn't really like and has said she would go back on. And Forbes has emphasised throughout the campaign that her priority would be to grow the sort of Scottish economy, which has grown over the last few years at a very, very sluggish rate. And you'd be talking about going into coalition with a party that doesn't believe in economic growth. So it's very, very difficult to see how that coalition would survive. So I think it probably would be a minority government. And then she'd have to be having to deal with each party on a case-by-case basis. And there'd be certain things that she could do deals with. There might actually be certain things she could do deals with the Tories in terms of her economic policy. So, yeah, I I think we'd be into that territory. I just don't see how the hard left sort of Greens have a coalition government with Forbes. Is that right, Alan Cochrane? Do you think that only really Humza Yusuf, because Ash Regan won't wing, only really Humza Yusuf allows the SNP to hang on to their majority government in Scotland? I, th- I think that this, this announcement over the weekend by those idiotic Greens is the best news the SNP could ever have. They're saying, we are going to break up the coalition if you don't do what we say. Now, the 90% of the SNP hate the Greens <laughs> and they've been forced into coalition because Nicholas told them to, but they're a shower, an absolute shower. They don't believe in economic growth, as Simon says. They don't believe in roads because cars run on roads <laughs> and cars have petrol. I mean, they're an absolute waste of space. And the majority of the SNP, certainly two of the three challengers, believe this. They've got to be dumped. And the fact that they're now saying, if you don't take the UK government to, to the Supreme Court and waste another six-figure sum on losing a debate before the justices, this time on the, the UK government's veto on that ridiculous gender bill, then if I was in the SNP, I'd be cheering from the rooftops. I really would. <laughs> I, I checking you don't vote for the Green Party, Alan. Just uh... I'm not telling you how I vote. <laughs> but, uh, but to take Alan's point now, Simon Johnson, do you think the SNP then might lurch back towards maybe where it was under, under Alex Salmon, a middle ground party which appeals to the Tories as much as Labour? I think if it was a Forbes win, then yeah, that's that's what we'd be looking like. A much more sort of new Labour centrist approach, yep. um, centrist, yeah. um, like we saw under Salmon. Salmon was very assiduous when he first became First Minister in 2007 to court business, and he was very successful at doing that, whereas over the, over the past eight and a bit years of Sturgeon, really, uh, the business community and Sturgeon have become estranged. You know, the business community of repeatedly complain that they're they're being ignored. So, yeah, I would expect that under Forbes government, that is what we would see. And actually, you can, uh, sort of canvassing the Tory MSPs in the Scottish Parliament, they would far prefer a Humza Yusuf victory than a Kate Forbes victory because they they think that Forbes has the capability to appeal to some of their potential voters. Have you been surprised, Alan Cochran, the way Kate Forbes' views on single-sex marriage and other areas haven't actually damaged her, well, as far as we know. I mean, or do you, or do you think that those will have held her below the waterline? Oh, they, uh, no, no, not, not, no, certainly not hold below the waterline. I think there's been a reaction to the, the d- disgraceful attacks on her at the outset of the campaign. But And I think basically they've been set to one side, her views on the social issues like gay marriage and uh, babies born out of wedlock. That, that's been put to one side. I think they'll come back. 
to bother her. But I think that most people are ashamed of the vicious attacks on her, the dirty tricks, as Kate Forbes' supporters said, that were launched against her. So I think she can cope with it. They will definitely come back because these things crop up from time to time. But I I do think that um, she's lived through that whirlwind for a bit and uh, she's okay now, I think. For a wee while. And Simon Johnson, do you think the attacks on Hamza Yusuf over his record in government have stung? They have been quite brutal, haven't they, from Kate Forbes particularly? Well, they've got the ring of truth about them, to be honest with you. I don't I think that's Hamza Yusuf's problem. You know, he, has, he hasn't done particularly well. Uh, that's Alan Cochran chuckling in the uh, headphones, if you're listening very closely, by the way, listeners. Carry on, Simon. <laughs> he hasn't done particularly well, and, and certainly not as health secretary. We've got record waiting lists, record vacancies for... Doctors and nurses, you know, um, cancer waiting time targets being missed uh, by huge margins. And so, you know, there, there was a big push uh, by the opposition parties before Sturgeon announced her departure for her to sack him as health secretary. And instead, he seems like he's going to get a promotion if the bookies are correct. And so, yeah, I think the competence issue, it's got the ring of truth about it. You look at the polls and public don't seem to particularly like him up here. And they don't seem to think he's uh, he's competent. So I think there's huge issues for them if Humza Yusuf wins. I mean, he may keep the gang together in terms of the Greens. He would probably have uh, a lot of the, the SNP experienced establishment people behind him would stick together to, to help him along. And so there would be the sort of machine, the election winning machine that uh, would, would remain together. But as I say, I think if you look at his record, it's hard to say that this is a guy who's going to sort out the health service and sort out the education system and all the problems that we've got up here. Alan Cochran, I said that who has benefited, and you very generously said journalists, but <laughs> in terms of politics, surely Labour is the party that's benefited the most from this chaos. Labour have had a good campaign, even though they're, they're not fighting it. But I think the person who's come out done himself a lot of good on this campaign, and, and, and I've been as critical as any about Douglas Ross, the Tory leader. He's had a smashing uh, campaign against... Sturgeon in the last couple of weeks, but Arash Sarwar is a very, very good operator. I like I like him a lot, and he's a very Blairite, all things to all men sort of Labourite. I think he's very good. But uh, so and and is Ross. So I think they're in for a a big fight the next time the Nationals. I tell you what was interesting. Looking at that front bench last week, the SNP That's front in, bench in, in the Scottish Parliament. If you look at the, that that across that front bench, you say. Well, she's not going to be in the next cabinet. He's not going to be in the next cabinet. <laughs> she's not going to be in the next. John Swinney's resigning. Nicholas gone. I mean, who on earth? And you look, go to the back benches and you think, which of that bunch could possibly be in a cabinet? Now, I wonder if she's going to form a government. Say yeah. it's Ash Regan or, or Kate Forbes yeah. or even Humza. Humza will keep the same lot, the, the same people with previous convictions in terms of mistakes made by Snurgeon's government. But who on earth? He's going to serve with Kate Forbes' government. Just on that point, though, on Labour. Yeah, Simon Johnson. Yeah, I was, I was just having a look back. I mean, we, we, we don't see Keir Starmer up here. We, we haven't seen him for months at a time. Then Nicola Sturgeon announced her, announces her resignation. He was up here on the 10th of the month, on the 16th of the month, and he was up here on Friday, the 24th. Wow. Three times in two weeks. I would suggest to you that that is not a coincidence. They see a tremendous opportunity here. I mean, unofficially, if you speak to people, they say, oh, maybe we can win. They've only got one seat up here, Labour, at the moment. One MP. One MP out of 59. uh, The S&P have 48. Now, they officially would say, maybe we're going to get 10 or 11 next year. But I think, actually, if things go as badly for 
Umza Yusuf, for ex- say, as as many of them expect, they could win twenty seats up here and and really help yep. propel Starmer into Downing Street. But I'll tell you, I don't know if you were in the office a couple of months ago when um, Keir Starmer it was coming around, and I mean, I I looked him straight in the eye, and this is you've got to keep asking the Labour people this. Do you promise on a stack of Bibles you will not do a deal with the SNP to form a minority government? You promised me that. I said that to him. He looked me in the face, stared me in the eyes and promised. I'm going to ask him that again if I see him. Keep keep asking him. He's hoping to be the Prime Minister. Is he going to back on a deal with the SNP to put him in number 10 down the He says no. Keep asking him. I, I was in a hall when he said he wouldn't do that. Keir Starmer said he wouldn't do that. I've in heard the party him say that as well, but keep asking. And of course, he told you that having been on my podcast last November, Alan. So I remember remember, remember it vividly. <laughs> but 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 Simon Johnson isn't isn't that missing a trick? The point is that the unionists might think it's great that there's a problem here with the SNP, and they control maybe forty or forty two percent of any votes in any election. And the unionist vote is always split, so it's very hard for the Tories or Labour or the Lib Dems to to get together and beat the SNP unless. They form a, 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 some form of coalition, which is unlikely. That is true. I mean, basically, what we've seen over recent years in Scotland in any election is people voting in line with their constitutional preferences. So, or if you support independence, you, you vote SNP. If you support the union, then you vote for one of the three unionist parties. And because of first past the post, the SNP do very well under that system because they come through the middle while the unionist vote is split. However, a couple of things. A lot of the support for independence, I think, was tied up with Sturgeon personally. And I just don't think Umza Yusuf or Kate Forbes, for that matter, would have anything like that near that sort of personal appeal. Okay. And secondly, I just think that we're getting the sense now that that sort of link between how you vote and the Constitution is starting to weaken. People are maybe starting to go back to some of the more traditional uh, subjects within the ballot box, you know, the cost of living, the economy, the jobs, the health service. And so if, if that link weakens, that also helps the Labour Party win back some of these voters they've lost to the SNP yep. over the last few years. And, of course, they have changed their, their red rose to a red thistle, yes. which is symbolic, if nothing else. Alan Cochrane, just as, as we wrap up, how far has this battle set back, do you think, the cause of independence? So that the numbers, the polling numbers now look like that they are the same as they were when you and I were in Scotland reporting on the 2014 indie referendum for the Telegraph. In my front room, if I remember. In your front room, writing on your on your yeah. dining table. That's right. Okay. okay. The Steens are still there, by the way. <laughs> but, the, no, the thing is, the, the, Simon says, the problem with the SNP is it's got it's got 40% of the of the electorate in its pocket now as we speak, even though it's not doing well. And as, he, as Simon also says, the other three parties, much to my annoyance and fury, divide the, the, the unionist vote. They've got to do dirty deals behind the scenes, and not vote against each other in seats where they've got no chance of winning. That's what we need to see, or rather not see. Deals done in smoke-filled rooms, for all I care. That's never going to happen. It's never going to happen, is it? Smoke-free rooms, then. Alan's there pronouncing from his shed in the garden. Is that even going to happen, Simon Johnson? Well, it's already kind of happened, actually. In the last Holyrood election, we saw massive tactical voting by unionist voters, and I think Douglas Ross actually explicitly told people in, in seats where Labour had a better chance than beating the SNP than the Tories to vote Labour. Okay. You know, so basically, I think that is already happening and actually unionists are getting quite handy of that. So there, so there. All right. Simon and I are right, you're wrong, Chopper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm English. I like, I like to say why I'm wrong. I'm wrong on most things. Just finally, in, in a tweet, Alan Cochran and Simon Johnson, both both to you, what does Nicola do next? Alan Cochran. 
have a nice time, go on a long cruise and wave a sad farewell to us. <laughs> Simon Johnson. Uh, UN job and write some memoirs. On that on that optimistic note, maybe, for Nicola Sturgeon, because <laughs> life is too short to be angry all the time, Alan. Simon <laughs> Johnson and Alan Cochran, our brilliant team of Telegraph colleagues reporting on Scotland. Thank you for joining us this week on Chopper the Politics Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Cheers, Chopper. Alan Cochran and Simon Johnson there. Now, coming up, Labour's prospects have been transformed after the resignation of Nicola Sturgeon. And the party that's benefiting most, it seems, from the polls is Labour. And next, we'll have the Scottish Labour leader, Anna Sawa, right after this. War in Ukraine is reshaping our world. For the past 12 months, the Telegraph's team of experts in London and correspondents on the ground have been analysing Putin's invasion of Ukraine every weekday on the Ukraine The Latest podcast. With over 24 million listens, Ukraine The Latest is the go-to source for up-to-date analysis on the war from every angle. Military, humanitarian, political, economic, historical, just to name a few. Each episode, we unpack the past 24 hours of the conflict, as well as regularly being joined by our own on-the-ground correspondents and guests who take us into their own experience of the war. Search for Ukraine The Latest in the same place you're listening to this podcast and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for listening. And we're back. Now, as Simon Johnson said, Keir Starmer, it seems, cannot stay away from Scotland in the recent weeks as he tries to capitalise on the problems in the SNP. But it seems, conversely, that its Scottish Labour leader, Anna Sawa, can't really stay away from London. He was down in the capital just last week, meeting with members of the Labour shadow cabinet. And during that visit, he found time to pop into the Red Lion pub and join me for a coffee. Anna Sawa, Labour's Scottish leader, welcome to Chopper's Politics Podcast. We're in a smelly pub, aren't we? It's a pleasure being here. Does it remind you of Glasgow, this pub? Uh, no, no, Glasgow, establish- the smell, the pub. Glasgow establishments are uh, obviously fantastic. You <laughs> exactly. should come and frequent them more often. Um, I'm always trying to encourage more tourism and more spending no, in Glasgow, so please, you're more than welcome. No, I love, I love, I love Scotland and the bars and, and Glasgow particularly. You've been in London on meeting your colleagues down here, Keir Starmer. What did you tell the Shadow Cabinet? Look, the key point is, I mean, people can themselves see that the SNP is in turmoil. It's a political party that's talking to themselves about themselves. And what I'm really keen to stress, both in Scotland, but also here speaking to UK shadow cabinet colleagues, is we can't just wait for the wheels to come off the SNP bus and assume that that means people automatically shift to Labour. We have to be worthy of people's support. We have to lead with humility. We have to win people's trust. We have to earn their respect. We have to earn their vote. And that's partly about saying, one, that UK Labour can win, but secondly, demonstrating what that win actually means in practice to change people's lives in Scotland. That primarily has to be around the economy, the cost of living crisis, but also around public services and the NHS. So that key message. But the other key point is there's a lot of debate across the UK about the next general election. And a lot of the UK general election debate focuses on the red wall. And I know from my conversations... That's Northern England, man, isn't it? Totally. When it's talked about. Absolutely, because pe- people think the red wall is going to decide the next election. The tartan walls is as important. In- indeed, but, uh, but this point that I keep making and that Keir Starmer keeps making and I reinforce to the UK shadow cabinet is when you think red wall, you have to also think Scotland. 
Scotland is going to decide the next general election, not just the Red Wall in the north of England going to decide the next general election. And I genuinely believe that Scotland will lead the way in helping to deliver a UK-wide Labour government. Not just for the sake of delivering a Labour government, but actually because it's going to mean meaningful change in Scotland around Green Revolution, around yeah. putting Scotland at the heart of the strongest economy in the G7, around reforming our public services, about democratic renewal and bringing respect and dignity back to our politics. All of these big issues facing us in Scotland that come the next general election. So, Anas, is the problem, though, that the union vote is split? That there's always going to be a baked-in, whatever the number is, 45%, 42%, maybe 39% vote for the SNP, and that will win the election for them, or at least give them almost almost within touching distance of power? I think certainly since the referendum in 2014, people have viewed the Scottish electorate as being in two entrenched camps, with the 45 on one side and only one mainstream political party challenging for that vote, and the 55 on the other side in terms of percentages in the result, and three mainstream political parties challenging for that vote. Actually, I think it's a bit more of a complicated picture than that. I think about a third of the electorate in Scotland is entrenched in terms of support for independence want a referendum tomorrow, would vote for independence tomorrow. I think about a third of the electorate is entrenched in terms of never wanting a referendum again or certainly not wanting one in the immediate future and would vote no in a referendum. And then I think you have a third of the country who perhaps are soft yes, soft no, undecided. And I think if we are going to move away from that binary politics where it's us versus them, constant bashing each other over the constitutional argument, played on by both Tory UK government and the Scottish SNP government for their own interest, if we're going to break through that, we have to say, what is the way forward that we can find a journey on? And my plea to people in Scotland is, there isn't a majority for a referendum, there isn't a majority for independence, but there is an overwhelming majority for change. And so people may ultimately disagree with me on the independence question. I don't support independence. I don't support a referendum. But I think a vast majority of us can agree in Scotland. We need to work together to get rid of this Does Tory that mean government. more powers, more and devolution? That mean, and that means persuading people to go on this part of yeah. the journey with us together. And the journey is what, more devolution? No, I, I, more I, I, powers look, over uh, other areas? Look, obviously yeah. you've had the Future of the UK report published by Gordon Brown, which sets out some proposals... I think it's less about where does the power lie, it's more about what individual politicians do with the power and then about building retrust in each layer of our democratic institutions. So it's about reforming the House of Lords, reforming the House of Commons, reforming the Scottish Parliament, reforming local government in Scotland. But look, the reality is if, if you're struggling with the cost of living crisis, if you're struggling to get an NHS appointment for your loved one, yeah. if you're struggling That's to get your child a mental health appointment, you don't really care about where power lies, you want to know what politicians are doing to change your life and that's where I think Labour has to be the change that Scotland needs and demonstrate this is what democratic renewal looks like but more importantly this is what social and economic renewal looks like. Because yes, they've been distracted like. by that goal haven't they? That's the, that's the impression we get from oh, down oh, here. Totally, but, but actually if, if, if there's a broader criticism, not just of the SNP but you're right, I mean the SNP itself has focused a lot on the independence question not about growing Scotland's economy but if there's a wider criticism I would make of Scottish politics mm-hmm. and the advent of the Scottish Parliament in 1999 is for 20 years we've largely had a social policy parliament rather than an economic policy parliament and the reality is and this might sound strange coming from a labor politician is you only get to achieve all the things you want to achieve in social policy if it's backed up by a strong economy a growing economy mm-hmm. successful to pay for those policies absolutely and therefore one of the two pillars for what i want to do 
in Scotland is one, of course, come up with a plan to reform, renew and rebuild our National Health Service, which is in terminal decline in Scotland, not because of the workforce, but because of government neglect. But alongside that, we need to build our own growth plan for Scotland that demonstrates the best and of Scottish talent. Will you stop talent. blaming the UK government for failures of the Scottish government? But that's it's how it's pierced down here. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem you've got is um, when it comes to any failure in Scotland, but only it, yourself, it's either you're... somebody's fault. And there comes a point where, where there is blame to be attributed, fair enough attribute blame, but actually I'm less interested who's to blame, I'm more interested in what we can do to fix it. So I'm more interested in my conversations with Keir Starmer to say, this is what I need a UK Labour government to do and this is the difference it'll make to people's lives in Scotland. Clean energy in 2030 being one example of that, putting the economy front and centre of our politics across the UK, an important part of that, changing our relationship with the European Union, a really important part of that. All of these huge issues which are going to be a big focus That's for the Scotland's UK relationship government. or the UK relationship? Both, because they're intrinsically linked. So, look, I, I, I've never bought into the idea that because we are so upset, rightly so, that we have withdrawn ourselves from the EU single market, that somehow it means we should remove ourselves from the UK single market. The UK single market is more important to Scotland than the rest of the global market combined. We, we trade more with the rest of the UK than we do with the rest of the world. That's not to say I don't want to change the relationship. I want us to strengthen our trade ties, business ties with the rest of the UK. And I also want to smooth and change the relationship with the European Union when it's in our national interest. And I think there's a positive way of doing that. Mm. Labour is lucky, isn't it? I mean, to see the... the, the, the Labour's not felt very Labour lucky in lucky. Scotland for the last no, 15 on, years. Let me, let me, let me, let me <laughs> do two pieces of luck. I mean, Boris Johnson evaporating last July from office, which has been a big deal in terms of the Red Wall you talked about mm. earlier. And now you've got Nicola Sturgeon disappearing and, and you know, obviously, obviously apparent chaos amongst the SNP leadership. And you are, you are the beneficiary, or your party's the beneficiary. I think a few things in that. I've always thought that the two game changers in Scottish politics would be a UK Labour government, and Nicola Sturgeon not being the First Minister. I didn't think it would happen the order it's happened in. But I actually think that Nicola Sturgeon leaving actually makes it, in some ways, easier for us to achieve a UK Labour government. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Is if you remember the last three general elections, where the Conservatives have relentlessly pursued the so-called UK Labour leader in the pocket of the SNP leader as if... It was, and that costs us. That will come Scotland, again. That will come but again. All, but I'm can, sure. But, but can fine. but can you imagine? No, no one's going to claim that the the next leader of the SNP is anywhere near the caliber. I I disagree with Nicola Sturgeon's politics. I, I question her record in Scotland in the last eight years as first minister, six years in years in government. But even the most biggest critic, or indeed the biggest supporter of Nicola Sturgeon, would say. These three candidates are not in our league. They're nowhere near as able. They're nowhere near as formidable. They're nowhere near as good communicators. And instead, you've got three candidates who seem to be having a race to the bottom in terms of who can criticise and distance themselves from the SNP the most. You've got the economically illiterate Ash Regan. You've got the social and economic conservative Kate Forbes. And you've got the incompetent okay. out of his depth. Humsley. Let's yes, talk about all of that. that is, all of that <laughs> is good for hitting. us. But, but honestly, but, but my challenge back on that is, as, as funny as that may be any political sense looking at another political party imploding actually it's not funny for the country we are in the midst of a twin national crisis in scotland we've got a cost of living crisis and we've got an nhs crisis and right now we do need credible leadership we need competent leadership and where others are failing to provide that whether that's a uk tory government or a smp scottish government Keir and I have to provide that competent, stable yeah. leadership to demonstrate to people a different future is possible, change is possible, and we can deliver it with the Labour government. We're in Westminster and we're looking towards the election at the end, yep. of, the end of next year. One MP at the moment, 20 after the election for Labour in Scotland? 
Well, like, that's uh, what some are saying. In terms, if you look at the polls, look, a lot of it depends on where we are in the polls. We've got to persuade people. Two years ago, we were at 16% in the polls. Now we're at 32% in the polls. If people had said that Labour was going to compete to win the election, people would have laughed, never mind that actually what would the scale of any majority be of a, of a Labour government. But to put it into context, we are not complacent. The next election is not a done deal. The next election is not won yet. There is still work to do. I think people have decided they want the Tories to lose. I don't think they've yet decided they want us to win. And we have got to earn that trust and deliver that programme. And in terms of what it means for seats to answer you directly in terms of Scotland, I'm not going to put a number on it. You wouldn't expect me to put a number on it. But there is a tipping point. Sophologists would tell you that if Labour can get to between 30 and 35%, that puts us significantly in the game in a number of seats that Labour would not have dreamt of a year ago or two years ago. But we're not complacent about it. We've got to do the work. We've got to go out there and earn people's support. Yeah. And we've got to demonstrate what the change looks like. And you like. were there and I was there for Keir Starmer's speech in the party conference last September. He said no deals with the SNP. That's what you're telling him still? No ifs, no, no buts, no deals with the SNP. And a direct challenge to the new SNP leader is we're going all out for a Labour majority government. But if we fall short of that and we have the opportunity to form a minority government, the SNP face a clear choice. They can either vote in a Labour government or they can vote in a Tory government. And I dare Kate Forbes or Hamza Youssef to vote in a Tory government <laughs> and we can see how Scotland reacts. Are you a monarchist? I am. I was a strong supporter of Her Majesty. I thought she was a great symbol of of Britishness, a great symbol of our country. And uh, I think King Charles has had a really, really good start. I think he also is someone that has a huge passion for Scotland and I'm looking forward to attending the coronation. This Republican streak in amongst these three SNP candidates is, is worrying for people down here. I mean, I, I, just to summarise, Thomas Yusuf says he's a Republican. Um, Ash Regan, or rather Andy Murray, was the president of, of Scotland. And Kate Forbes says the jury is out. Well, look, that, that's up to them in terms of what their view is. That wasn't the view that Alex Salmon projected back in 2014. Oh, no, Nicola Sturgeon, I think. Um, nor Nicola Sturgeon. I understand these are three candidates trying to persuade their SNP membership okay. and, and perhaps okay. are reflecting uh, that rather than actually what's in the national interest. Okay. And just on, on the issue of culture wars, this gender recognition act that Labour, Labour voted yep. for, do you regret that? Look, I don't, I don't regret it, but what I do regret, and I do have some regrets, is if we're honest with ourselves and if the Scottish government is honest with itself, Since the passing of the GRR bill, I don't think our trans community feel any more protected. I don't think women feel any more reassured. And it feels like everybody has lost. And I think that's partly because of what happened in the Isla Bryson case. It's partly what happened in terms of a government not taking the people with them. And I think the SNP leadership election is a reset moment or should be a reset moment where we look at the situation we've got ourselves in, we try and build a consensus, we try and find a sensible way forward that does protect our trans communities, but also reassure women on single-sex-based rights based on biological sex. Would you tell your MSPs to vote for it now? Look, we, we, we should have been harder, I think, in terms of our amendments. That We did get good amendments in terms of more safeguards. We got good amendments in terms of data sharing. We got good amendments in terms of getting the Equality Act on the face of the bill. But we had more robust amendments around further safeguards around the Equality Act, further safeguards around sex offenders and those facing trial for rape. And we also had further amendments around protecting single-sex okay. spaces. When those amendments didn't pass, we should have perhaps been a bit harder on that in reflection. Voted against. Maybe not voted against, but probably pushed the government harder on that but I, I would hope that the Scottish government recognises they made a mistake in those areas would you well. repeal it now if you're first minister 
Would I repeal it? it? I I wouldn't say repeal it, but I think we certainly need to have modifications that give greater protections to single-sex spaces based on biological sex, define much clearer the primacy of the Equality Act and build in greater safeguards. And a lot of that is partly legislation, but also partly guidance. And I don't think yet either government has given the Equality and Human Rights Commission its role in terms of defining that guidance, identifying the inconsistencies, and then both governments committing to resolve those inconsistencies. We've not had a grown-up politics on this, which is well, which is a big part of that's the problem. How it appears. JK Rowling, everything's culture war, yeah. everything's constitutional. And it's so and, negative. And, I mean, absolutely. as you say, the victims are people of the trans community. Absolutely. JK Rowling is a major Labour donor. Should your party take her money still, despite her position on, on I, this I, area? I, I would imagine that JK's probably not keen on giving the Labour Party money at, at the moment. I think we probably have lots of work to do to reassure her and win her back. But is JK Rowling... Is she a national hero? I'll give you an example. I was in Orlando with my kids, uh, our our first holiday in uh, three years abroad, uh, coming through COVID, and we went to Universal Studios and to see Harry Potter World and the global impact of someone who is a, a writer and an icon from Scotland how can anyone say anything other than she is a, a huge figure in, in our culture, our arts, uh, and an icon? Just final question, the most important one. Have you ever had a deep-fried Mars bar? Uh, I actually had a first, my first deep-fried Mars bar. This might relate to you seeing the video of Keir Starmer being asked <laughs> if we'd have a deep-fried Mars bar. I don't know if you saw that. And so on camera, um, political editor of The Sun, Chris Musson, tried to get Keir Starmer to eat a deep-fried Mars bar on camera. Uh, Keir rejected that, saying he'd learned a lesson that a Labour leader should never eat on camera. Um, once the camera was off, uh, he didn't try it, but I certainly did. It's quite messy. And uh, it was the first time I actually had it. It was an interesting delicatessen. I'm, I'm not sure I would recommend it to others. <laughs> you went on the uh, spinning machine after to work it all off. Unless I need a lot more than the spinning machine one off, to be fair. Look, Anna Sawa, thank you for joining us. A great pleasure. day for you in, in Red Lion Pub and a safe journey back to Scotland. Thank you so Come much. Come on again. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this bonus episode, listeners. Thank you to my guest, Simon Johnson. Alan Cochran and, of course, Anna Sawar, the Scottish Labour leader. Thank you to my producers, Louisa Wells and Giles Gear. But most importantly of all, thank you to you for listening. Please do share your thoughts on what's next for the SNP by emailing me, chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk or find me on Twitter, we're at chopperspodcast. I'll be bringing you the fallout from the SNP election over the next few days in my Choppers Politics newsletter. It goes straight into your email inbox every weekday. The link to sign up will be in the show notes for this episode. And as ever, please do buy a copy of the Daily Telegraph whenever you can. It'll leave you much better informed. Until next time, though, cheerio!